would like to welcome to Unapologetically Successful podcast, Penny Chason, who is joining us from the United States, has a journey of her life where she has gone through recovery, discovery about what works for people. Penny's beliefs, and that's what she's focusing her business, is exactly what we believe as part of the Unapologetically Successful, is that a lot of our success comes from our childhood and who we are. And Penny's business today is through hypnotherapy to identify childhood patterns or marks and then elevates them, change them to allow people to achieve happiness, joy, success. I'll get Penny to speak about it more, but I just wanted to say thank you so much. It's such an honor. You and I had a number of conversations about your work when I have participated in your hypnotherapy, which was mind-blowing. And let's just start, but first I'll let you to introduce yourself. Thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of your podcast and your audience. It really is an honor. And to introduce me. I let's put it in a nutshell. I'm a spiritual being having a human experience, but I did not always know that. I spent 25 years in healthcare. I was a critical care nurse. I was a nurse anesthetist. And in that process discovered hypnosis for many years, did the generalist practice. And I found my Dharma in 2019. I found my purpose in this life to help people to heal and be whole from the inside out at the heart level. And that was when I left anesthesia, went full-time in my hypnosis practice. I run a global practice. Initially, when I experienced hypnosis for the first time in my training, I had no intention of being a hypnotist. And what happened was the instructor demonstrated how we can use the power of our mind to numb a part of our body to create analgesia. And I was the person he called up to be the volunteer to experience that. So that ignited me to say, hey, the mind is powerful. We have a responsibility to let people know how powerful they are. And as I began to, it was just a side business. It was to just grow my skills. My intention was to practice full-time when I retired, when I was 60. I'm nowhere near that yet. But as I began working with people around weight loss, cravings, smoking, the most common things that people associate hypnosis with, what I found was that for people who have behaviors that are brought on by stress or triggering situations, there was an emotional component and classical hypnosis just would not address it. So I went searching and I came across the, you could call it a protocol or the process that I use. It's not the only technique I use now, but I came across a process that allows us to connect with a point in time before we ever had a negative thought about ourselves before we ever doubted, before we ever had a thought that we weren't good enough or that we need to do something to fix someone else or to please them, to be accepted, to make that world better. And when you eliminate that root cause, I shouldn't say eliminate it because you can't 
rewrite a memory. What you can rewrite is your interpretation and perception of it. So that emotional resonance is neutralized. When I came across that, I was like, oh my God, like this is what I need. And I really immersed myself and I did a self-study and then I did a live study. And I'm like, if I'm ever going to teach hypnosis, this is the only process that I will teach. So I became an instructor and through that process, I became so immersed in it, but I didn't have the true understanding. I got it, but I didn't get it until I started my own personal growth journey after I had an emotional crisis and I went to my mentor who trained me and I said, look, they're giving me anti-anxiety meds or giving me depression meds. I'm seeing a counselor and after three months, I'm getting worse, not better. And I have peeled back a layer of the onion and I realize what's going on here. I have a little bit of unresolved grief and I have some anger around the situation that I was never given the opportunity to process because of the intensity and the gravity of the situation. It just wasn't appropriate, but I, I forgot about it and I never processed it. And in six hours, three, two hour sessions, my life did a complete 180. I didn't need any more anxiety meds. I had to beg my doctor to wean me off my antidepressants because they just couldn't believe that hypnosis helped me to do that. And so from that point in time, th this is just, it's the flag that I carry. We do not have to live under the burden of domestication that we've experienced. And it doesn't have to be a big T trauma. And if you want to get into that later, we can. It doesn't have to be anything big or ugly. It's just a, a, an interpretation and a perception around unprocessed emotions that runs in the undercurrent of our mind. I've read that not only you can define your future, but you can change your past. And it's not logical in a way, but past is the emotions that we carry with us. That's what you do, really. I'm not dismissing that trauma is terrible, but we have a choice how we react to it. Exactly. And I apprentice with a shaman and was really to just be on that pure spiritual path without dogma. And I had a situation come up once and I reached out and I'm like, I would just really like some clarification around trauma because I don't feel it's always appropriate for people to, to re-experience it and relive something. And what was shared with me is that in any moment, we have the opportunity to choose to be defined by the interpretation of the situation or to identify with our spirit and that there is a part of us that's bigger and that we can just surrender and let it go, just like literally process and let it go. But when we're younger, we don't have that context. We don't have that awareness. And even as an adult who's been on this path for several years now, I still have to stop myself and remind myself, I get to choose. I get to choose in that moment. I do have a story that I would like to share. That's all right. Yeah. I worked with someone a few years ago who is a very well-established and respected physician, very successful where she was in an academic center. And she had reached the point in her life where the challenges and the physical rigors of maintaining a surgery schedule and a call schedule and training residents and all of these things she was ready to transition to 
a different area of medicine. So she had started the fellowship and soon she was going to be ready to transition out of surgery into this other specialty. And she came to me because she says, I don't understand why I'm getting this sense of I'm not good enough, right? She's very well accomplished, respected. And we connected with this feeling. And when we followed the feeling back, it went back to a moment when she was three years old and she was sitting in the floor and she's building a stack of blocks. She was so proud and was like, mom, look at what I built. And mom goes, that's nice, but let's do it like this. And in that moment, as a three-year-old child, I've done something wrong. I've lost mother's love. She had spent her entire life, and I, I remember when we had our interview, she spent her entire life believing that her mother didn't love her. They had a disconnected relationship. And when we went through the process of informing and correcting that misperception and that incorrect interpretation, she had the awareness that her mother had always loved her. And it shifted everything. We just completely neutralized that whole situation. So in a, in a way, you could say we did rewrite it. What we did was rewrite what she believed about it. So this is personal. I have three postgraduate degrees because I also believe that if someone has to have more than one or two postgraduate degrees, we're chasing something. We're obviously chasing something. But so I completely understand and agree what you're saying. That's one. But the next item that I wanted to actually go into is there is a lot of people who are aware or who have gone through this self-discovery and the journey of connecting with the higher self or, but there is a lot of people who don't believe in that. How do you, even when you said the word shaman, for a lot of people that would be really uncomfortable how would you bring those people on the journey? Yeah, and I understand that. I think that for most people, we have some belief in a higher power, a creator. Most people have a belief of a soul. And it's just different ways, I think, of defining it. I do understand that for some people who are more structured, in their religious beliefs, it might be off-putting. It's not my job to change anyone's mind one way or the other, except to say that true shamanism is really just to live with an open heart, to be kind, compassionate, and understanding, and not to exert will over other people. And that's basically the path that I'm walking and peeling back the layers to do that to the best of my ability. So do you believe you need to be a believer in hypnotherapy to work for you? Yeah. So have you ever heard of the placebo effect? Yes. So it's the same thing with hypnosis. If you believe that you have the ability to shift and heal and change, you will. You can't force anyone to take on a belief that they don't want if you are ethically practicing hypnosis. And what I mean by that is anytime you're 
say watching the news, talk shows, those types of things, those people learn human behavior and they learn persuasion. And they, and I know this because I've met some of them at the National Hypnotist Convention through emotion, you can influence people. But as a hypnotist, hypnotherapist, if someone told me, you know what, I'm really not sure about this. I don't think I believe in it. Number one, it's not my place to convince you. And number two, you could throw me a hundred times the amount I charge and I wouldn't take you as a client because if you don't believe in it, there's nothing I could do to make it work. Because I actually believe that everything is possible. We have the ability to create whatever. Was it Einstein saying that imagination is much more important than knowledge? He also was saying that he used to daydreaming and that's where his answers used to come. Yeah. Creative daydreaming, which is what he called it, is nothing more than hypnosis. Hypnosis is nothing more than creative daydreaming. It's just the techniques that I use are more directed and they're more advanced because of the goal and the end point that we have in mind. But yes, when we quiet the mind, we open ourselves up to be so tuned in to that intuition and the things that we just know. It's like we can really listen to our gut without our head talking us out of what we already know. That inner intuition tells you really quickly what the right answer is. Yeah, I have two takes on that. There's intuition and there's gut and the gut being a feeling. We generally Mm -hmm. tend to associate the gut with the feeling in that emotional feeling, that instinct comes from the totality of our experiences. And a lot of times we can be aware of subtle signals subconsciously that consciously we may not see that the signs are there. For intuition, in my experience, and it can be different for everyone, it's more of an instant knowing. There's no emotion behind intuition. There's, and a lot of times it doesn't make logical, rational sense because the intuition will come through and like, wait a minute, that's not right. I have this proof over here and this evidence over here and your intuition is going, nope, don't do it. And there's no fear behind it. And usually when you don't follow that intuition, you end up saying, I should have listened to my intuition. Oh, I have so many of those. But one that I've comes back to mind is I was driving from Byron Bay to Sydney, which is about, I think, 800 kilometers. I took my kids on a surf trip and it was late in the evening and I just wanted to make it back home. It was end of holidays and I had a car full of surfboards and it's evening. I'm tired, but, and I have three children in the car with me and I suddenly got this voice and I truly had a voice say, slow down. And it was a female voice. I've never heard that voice before. Slow down. And then I saw what was going to happen that actually happened truly a few seconds later, which was there were two huge trucks driving next to me. And I saw this happen and there was a police car stopping the road, which if I would have kept on overtaking those two trucks, I would never have had the chance to stop my car 
fully loaded with everything and not hit the police car or the trucks. I slowed down. I suddenly realized something came to warn me. I still don't understand what it was. I can't explain that. We got to decide. That's the main thing. Yeah, we all have our cheering section that's here to support us, whether you want to call them guides or angels. I've had a similar experience where slow down and sure enough, a mile down the road, there's a highway patrol. It didn't make any sense. Rarely ever see cops out here where I live. I'm out in a rural area, but we can receive that. And because you were driving, most likely you weren't having a lot of head chatter. Yeah. And you were in a receptive state to be aware of it. So do we need to go for drives to be in a receptive state? I have to apologize because I cannot remember her name. The woman. Sarah Blakely. Yeah. Goes for a drive because that's when her, her ideas come. I get great ideas when I drive and also when I shower. I don't know what it is about a shower, but it's like, I'll be scrambling to get to my phone to do a voice memo. Okay. My gosh, we could go through this. There are so many hints and tips. And so what comes to mind is coming back to, and we'll go on to the shower and the driving, but do you think that hypnosis can help with depression? I do. And I'm going to frame this up by saying that as a non-licensed mental health practitioner, yeah. I, do, I do not diagnose or take on depression clients unless it's someone who's well-managed and they say, okay, my, my therapist said that I could do some work around this because this issue is affecting my depression. But there was actually a study They came out last year, they did a huge meta-analysis and they looked at the serotonin reuptake inhibitors, the SSRIs. And what they found was it was a person's relation to their circumstance that was more likely to be beneficial to them than the SSRIs. So for most people, unless they're dealing with major clinical depression, just shifting the way that we look at our circumstances has a better outcome than the medication does. And it was a huge study. We can have a lot of situations where we look for external validation when really that sense of contentment and peace comes from inside of us. It can never come from something outside of us. And when we attach our expectations, when we attach our happiness to our expectations around what's going on in the world around us, how the people around us are interacting, we are setting ourselves up to feel as if our needs aren't being met. And I see a lot of people who simply are experiencing sadness. They're feeling a sense of loss. It could be a loss of connection or the loss of an opportunity or relationship, whatever it may be. And because we're so averse to feeling sad, yeah, we don't do anything with that feeling. We ignore it. And then our mind is attempting to get our attention. And when our mind is not getting us, we're not responding 
to do something different, we can become frustrated. Yeah. Because we're staying in this place. And then that tertiary emotion is depression. And again, not talking about clinical depression, but that down in the dumps, the funk, the blues, whatever people choose to call it. I don't know about Australia, but here in the U.S., depression is one of the most overdiagnosed conditions by general practitioners. So we're not even talking that it's counselors and therapists making this diagnosis, but people come in sad, they lack motivation, they're lacking confidence, and they simply don't have the skills and the tools to know how to move themselves out of it. So then antidepressants become the most overprescribed medication here in the U.S., we don't want to go into depression, yeah. but it was just a comment. So coming back to success and what makes people happy and achieve whatever their goals are. If I look at hypnosis, so our belief is, and I always use the example that when a child is told you're not sporty, that person will never do sport until they're 65, until they actually address it because they believe it and it becomes their belief and it becomes their identity. So most of my clients, most of the people I work with, they recognize that it's someone else's story. And many times I will work with the client and coach the client, not telling them what to say, but getting a deeper understanding from them of what they really believe about a situation so that they can do that informing and say, hey, you know what? In a few minutes, dad's going to say, ah, you know what? You shouldn't do that. You're not that sporty. And that's just dad's opinion, right? Dad is doing his best working with what he knows. And he doesn't know anyone in the family who's sporty. And he grew up being told that girls shouldn't participate in sports. And I know you really want dad's approval, but it's just his messed up way of thinking. So we bolster the self-esteem in the mm. belief in self before that comment ever lands in sticks. So then the mind is like Teflon. You go in prepared. Especially a lot of women <laughs> tend to need daddy's approvals. Yeah. So I, I think that praising a child for doing well and them being dependent on your approval for self-esteem are two different things. Because a part of our human psyche, that Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a sense of belonging. Right. It's a part of who we are as humans is having that sense of belonging. So I don't believe that there's anything wrong with praising and encouragement. And I think as parents, we could probably all, once I became a hypnotist, I was like, oh my gosh, I wish I knew this before I became a parent. I think we could probably all continue to do our own work so that we could encourage our children to be more resilient and self-satisfying and self-soothing because the opposite end of that is that if you push a child to have to fully fill themselves up, then it's almost as if I can't do enough to get the recognition and that can lead to overcommitting, overdoing, perfectionism. A lot of things can come up in that way. 
in regards to what you said about a daughter's relationship with the fathers over the years, what I've seen is that a woman's relationship with her father generally influences her early perceptions of what it means to be in a relationship with a man and which direction to go in terms of safety and security in nurturing. I would say with 95% of my clients where there are misinterpretations or misperceptions, nine times out of 10, it's mom that we really have to do a lot of work around. And generally it's from a mismatch of love languages. Yes. So consider Eastern Europe. I've worked with many I clients. I do consider who, because I was born there. <laughs> yeah. I realized when I said that the connection, but I've honestly worked with a lot of clients from Germany, Norway, Denmark, Austria. And anytime that there were issues of around feelings of not being good enough and not being able to live up to those expectations. After two or three clients, I learned to ask, were your parents' children in post-war Europe? And they would be like, yeah. I said, would it be fair to say your parents grew up in an environment where survival was the mode and there was no time for love and affection? And you had to be grateful for the shirt on your back and the shoes on your feet. And there, there just wasn't time because their parents were in survival mode. There wasn't time to play and to nurture. And they'd be like, oh my God, yeah. I said, that's how they learned to parent. Every parent loves their child. There is no have to somewhere deep inside love the child and they just love the only way that they know how to. And it's the circumstance that they might have been growing up themselves or be deprived that they only can give as much as they give, 100%. The same way as, and this is, I also believe that even every person in jail was once a little boy or a little girl, and they never dreamt about ending up in jail. And there is always something really deep, beautiful and warm and loving in them. Yeah, I I made a really polarizing social media post last year around radical, unconditional love for yourself. And that when we have radical, unconditional love for ourselves, we have a deeper understanding of what has created what we would might call our faults or what led to mistakes we may have made. And that it allows us to have a compassionate understanding for other people. That if we want to see the world be better, start with ourselves and how we show up in the world. And so, of course, someone came in underneath that post and they said, yeah, what about pedophiles? And I'm like, yeah, what about pedophiles? What they do is atrocious. I would never wish that on anyone. However, consider what had to happen to that person. They ever even imagined to find it acceptable to do what they did. Something seriously broke down in that space. So I believe that when we love ourselves and when we accept ourselves, things really begin 
to shift and we impact others through that process. They see that change in us. So for people to achieve their goals and their dreams. So I am a very strong believer. You really need to be positive. You do need to have a grief, but it actually comes back to the positivity because if you believe you're going to be successful, it drives you and gives you the intuition to make a phone call to someone else and just keep on going. I remember I was with someone and I started saying, oh, this is not working and that's not working. And this man says, Susanna, now we're going to rephrase it. And he completely changed my language and he made me to repeat it about five times. And he goes, we will speak about this, this way. And over a period of time, it will change. Yeah. Because within our mind, even like people who participate in gossip and drama, your mind doesn't know that you aren't talking about yourself. It's just hearing the words and the energy and the frequency. And if you don't believe that something is possible, Is your mind capable of seeing an opportunity that might be right in front of you? I believe it's possible you don't see it. So I like that a lot of people go, oh, magic happens or whatever else. When people say I can manifest, because it's not. It actually is the next action, that, that next synchronicity that happens where you suddenly end up sitting in a coffee shop. Yeah, there's more to it than attraction. It's about action. Yeah, you, It's more about faith-based action. And I believe that's what your friend was talking to you about shifting the way that you talk about it. And here's the way we're going to talk about it. And this is going to shift because when you believe it's possible, you're more likely to take actions that put you in the position to be open to those opportunities. Yeah. With hypnotherapy, do you believe that it's something that people need to come back to? Or is it that you are healed forever? after a few sessions? I think it depends on the issue and the goal desired. When I did general hypnosis, there were a lot of things that I could help people with. And unless at some later point, there was some issue where they chose to go back, they would never smoke again. They would never have sugar cravings again. However, Being on the path that I'm on now, working with people to fundamentally transform their self-identity and self-acceptance, people are on a personal growth journey, which means they're always actively seeking to improve themselves. And that means looking for thoughts and beliefs that need to be shifted and changed, constantly putting yourself outside of your comfort zone to grow because we don't grow if we're in our comfort zone. So we're continually putting ourselves in situations where if there's something underneath the surface that may bump up against that, going to be revealed. However, think of a pendulum swinging, no pun intended with hypnosis, right? Think of a pendulum swinging. It can swing wide or it can swing very narrow. And where you want to be is in a place where that pendulum swings very narrow so that if you bump up against something and the emotions come and the thoughts come, you don't have wild swings in emotion and intensity. It's very narrow. You have an awareness of it. You can recognize it and you have the tools to bring yourself back to center relatively easily. So do you think everyone can do this? 
everyone can change. Everyone can change. I believe unless you're someone who is a psychopath or a sociopath where you're wired, where emotions and those kinds of things just don't function properly. I shouldn't say properly, but the way that the majority of the population does, it changes choice. So I also believe that one should not use the word, I wish, I desire, I would like. If you really want to do something, or if you really, then make a decision. I decide. So I decide I'm going to do something or I'm going to be something. Because the moment you actually really own the decision, it will propel you to wherever you need to go. Are you able with hypnosis to get people to that point? That's a very good question. Because I often have people who say they want to be more committed and have a coach who uses this mantra where he says 99% committed is a bitch. And I remember thinking, when were the times in my life where things just happened without question? And that was where I came to the realization it would be when I just decide. For clients in hypnosis, the hypnosis will not decide. Okay. For many people, in order to really change something in their life, it means that they get to let something go or they get to give something up in order to propel forward. Maybe they're giving up a belief or they're giving up a story or they're letting go of the comfort zone. Sometimes people will cling to a part of their past identity because they have spent their entire life defining themselves in the context. And until they're ready to release that and say, you know what, this no longer serves me, I'm done, decide will not happen. Does everyone have the potential? I'll go into a complete space where is obvious for everyone who would know me or that's not my aspiration or anything like that. But let's say I want to become a actress in Hollywood which all my friends would know this is just not me. <laughs> but do you believe that we all have it in us or we all can get to whatever we desire? I think that we feel a pull towards our gifts and talents that will allow us to be in the truest expression of ourselves. So I think if someone wanted to be an actor or an actress, and that's what they really felt pulled and called to do. Yes, I believe they could do that. Does that mean they're going to be an A-lister in Hollywood and an Oscar winner? I don't know. It comes down to that soul's desire and moving in that path. If the goal was to be an actor just to get the money, the houses, and the cars, and it wasn't a passion for acting, then that's not following the path. So there's, there, there will be moments of resistance in bumping up against obstacles in there. You wouldn't want to ask me to be your accountant. If you told me, you know what, if you choose to do accounting, I guarantee you in six months, you'd be a billionaire. If I wanted to do it for them, there'd be no way. There'd be no way. Because right. it wouldn't be soul aligned. I 
so where this comes to is that you go to Los Angeles and you go to any restaurant and you for sure are going to be served by someone aspiring to be <laughs> a Hollywood star. And some of them have been acting and some haven't. But the point is that how does the population goes to Los Angeles because they want to be actors but what is the differentiator who becomes the actor compared to who stays the waiter for the next six months or next six years? I think it probably has to do with openness to opportunity. How would you be open to opportunity if you didn't do that? Confidence and how you show up in the world. I Maybe you could be a star but maybe it's just not on Hollywood. Maybe it ends up being Broadway. Because I believe else. that if you go to, let's say you go to Los Angeles, exactly, like play this scenario. But if you're going and you coming back to I decided, you need to be really clear what you want to do. And then your path will, your inner knowing will guide you to where you want to get to. Yeah. Compared to, I would like to be an actor, I've decided to be an actor. It's this. Yeah, totally. I believe in, I've decided. Because when we want, there may be some part of us that doesn't believe it's possible. And that's where you come in. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe if there is a lack of belief if there's a lack of self-belief, not believing that you're good enough, this isn't meant for me. My family told me I would, the story, right? Oh, Tom Hanks, he's an actor. You're a Virginia farm boy. Who do you think you are to go to Hollywood and be an actor? And then you carry that with you. Yeah, I grew up hearing you can be anything that you put your mind to but you have to have a college education so you can get a good job. Do you see how that you can be or do anything you want to, but you have to have a college education and get a good job. I was programmed to get a job. What I really like, Penny, as well about your business and is that you're very firm and very focused about who your clients are as well. You don't take every client. You are you interview your clients and you have a particular group of people who you work with and work with to expand them and really allow them to go to the next stage. And I know that you have a specific program where you work with anyone who sort of is over the $250,000 income. Working someone with someone who's in a specific space it's the challenge, the most common challenges they're going to face. So with my one-on-one work, I have a lot of flexibility. I've worked with people who run multi eight-figure businesses all the way down to five figures, right? But when it comes to the mastermind, the group program, the income target on that is what it is. So that when I bring that group together for community and for collaboration, everyone is, it's relatable. It's relatable for everyone. And there are common issues that come up around trust and scaling a business. And it was a million dollars really for me and how family perceives it in relationships. So there's a more cohesiveness around that. So do you get a lot of eight-figure 
clients? The last year, most of my one-on-one clients have been half a million and up in their gross revenue. And it's mostly either issues around trusting in money or the success has been built, but now it's, I want my time back. I'm trapped in this space. And how do I get my time back? How do I stop chasing validation? I would assume that's very much a first generation money. Could be. I I think that with the majority of millionaires here in the U.S. being new to money, right, they're self-made, if the business structure is built off of decisions that were made out of the trauma that's unhealed, the beliefs that have not been neutralized, and all of that decision-making has taken place based on limiting beliefs or perceptions or that validation seeking. And then you just end up in the space where I've heard people say they, they want to burn their business down, right? What was once their passion becomes something that they dislike very much because they don't have the time freedom that they thought that they would have. And they're still in this place where they may feel not good enough and like it's never enough and they feel like they're on a hamster wheel. So there there are a variety of things that I help people through, but really what it comes down to is that deep interconnection, the relationship with self that allows people to have that confidence to let go of control and not need to continue to chase something outside of them to feel like they've accomplished something in their life. It was last June, a gentleman who owns a dozen companies, he's worth nine figures and someone connected us because the guys, I don't know what my block is. I've sold so many companies, but once I hit 150 million, like every time I have a company valued at over 150 million, the deal falls through. And I was just asking him some questions. So I would really know if this was a mindset issue or if it just happened to be circumstances and he was putting meaning on it. And the thing that had changed since the last time he had put together a $300 million or greater deal was that he had gotten married and had three kids. And I said, how does that make it different? And he said, I don't want to put in all that time. It takes a lot of time to put together a deal to sell a three to $500 million company. And I was like, oh, and he goes, and he just talked a little bit. He goes, you know what? He goes, I really don't even know if I want that kind of money anymore. I solved this problem on the call. And it was a very valuable problem. (laughs) You're amazing. Thank you so much. I'll finish there. This has been such a wonderful conversation. And I always enjoy our conversations. It's absolutely amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anything else you would like to share or, or leave the community as a parting comment? I think the most important thing I have learned is to follow your path with heart. Follow that path with heart because in the end, we are going to end up in the same place 
anyway. And that is something that I've learned. And so that's what I do. I stay true to who I am and who I'm here to serve. We are all connected. And I really appreciate this conversation. It was great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Lots of love.